This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody, welcome to Why Is Everyone Yelling with Lindsay Hine. I am your host, Lindsay, and I'm so grateful you're here today. I have a little bit of a sinus cold, so please excuse my voice on this intro. I have a really exciting episode today. This is our first time reoccurring guest on the show. You're listening to episode 14, and I'm talking with Alex Caspero. Alex is a registered dietitian and plant-based chef. She is the founder of Delish Knowledge and the co-founder of Plant-Based Juniors. So she was episode six on the podcast. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, make sure you go back and check it out. We had so much to talk about in that episode, we decided to come back and do a second round. This episode is packed with so much great information. We talk about language in the kitchen with our kids, giving the kids choices around mealtime within reason, picky eating, getting in the protein you need and plant-based foods, supplements, seasonal eating, and so much more. She also ends the episode with some great book recommendations. In this episode, we touch on Alex's free seven-day protein guide as well as a free supplement guide. You can find links to those in the show notes at sandyboyproductions.com. And if you're interested in purchasing her ebook, you can use the code Lindsay for 15% off any of their ebooks. And one more thing, in this episode, I mentioned the vitamins that my kids take every day, and that is Prevenex Superbites. And if you want to check those out for your kids, you can use the code ANOTHER at checkout when you go to Prevenex.com. I have great luck with two of my four kids taking those every single day. Again, that's Prevenex.com. Use the code ANOTHER to get 15% off your order when you check that out. All right, friends, I hope you get as much out of this episode as I did. Enjoy my conversation with Alex Caspero. Today on the podcast, I am so excited to welcome back our first returning guest, Alex Caspero, to the show. Welcome to the show, Alex. Yeah. Hey, thanks, Lindsay, for having me here. Yeah. So this is our plant-based dietitian on the show. She's like our resident dietitian, apparently, our returning (laughs) guest. The first time we talked, though, we had so much to cover and I just knew if you would be willing I wanted to have you back on yes yes yeah let's keep going and for those of you who aren't already following Instagram our Instagram why is everyone yelling Alex took over yesterday and did an amazing job Um, it was so fun to have you kind of on the stories connecting with people and sharing um, a lot of things that we're going to talk about today on the podcast as well so thank you for doing that yeah, that was really fun. I mean, I could talk all day, as you know, about these topics. So it's always fun to, to hop on and, and chat about them with someone else. Um, okay, so let's start with protein today. I know you just came up with a new seven day or a new plant based protein seven day thing with forty recipes. And yes. my friend Emily, who does plant based for the most part at home as well was just over at my house lifting in my garage and we were talking about this and she struggles with getting her boys to eat non-meat protein. So Mm. here's the deal. Her husband's a vegan. She eats mostly vegan, but the kids still eat, you know, everything. Um, And so, yeah, all the things. And so when she sits down and has a meal with her family and I have this issue too, sometimes 
it's hard to get her kids to eat protein that's not meat. They're not into beans. So let's just like kind of talk about some plant-based protein options and also a little bit about the seven-day plan you have. Yeah, yeah. So so lots of things sort of dive in there. Actually, it was I was inspired after our conversation last time and we kind of delved a little bit into the the protein thing and I was like, "You know what? I feel like that's something I keep hearing. I want to create something where it's really succinct for someone who's like either like your friend Emily where it's like yes I feel very comfortable doing this for myself maybe not my kids or someone who just is like you know I've been kind of hearing about this plant-based thing and I want to do more I want to look into it so I created a seven-day email series and it's essentially it walks you through how to cook tofu how to cook tempeh how to cook seitan how to cook beans how to cook lentils it's got 40 recipes it's absolutely free uh, you can sign up on my website and I'll give you the the link to have in your show notes, but it really is sort of like a basics guide about not only how to cook them, but also sort of all of your plant-based protein questions answered. Uh, so that's something that I that I really wanted to do and to help people because I feel like so much of the barrier is, yeah, beans, what do I do? You know, if I have this can of beans, what do I do with them? And I feel like lentils, you know, it's just like, okay, besides lentil soup, now what? And tofu, gosh, I mean, that is so foreign to a lot of people, tempeh, et cetera. So that's really the whole premise of my my new free course. And, you know, back to your friends thing. I mean, there's a lot of things I would sort of suggest if uh, I was in there lifting with you in the garage or if she was coming over, if we were talking. And and the first one would be, you know, are, are we offering them in ways that feel normal to our kids, right? So if our kids are only exposed to, let's say, you know, that the typical sort of kid-friendly things, and, and not to generalize, but, you know, the, the pepperoni, the chicken nuggets, the fish sticks, now adding, let's say, a side of just black beans is going to feel weird. Or if we're going to have, let's say, even like tofu, if it's not prepared in a way that feels really familiar, it can feel like, oh, I don't know what that is. And a lot of kids will do that to, to any food, but especially a food that isn't part of their sort of normal diet. So I would say, you know, I've got a recipe for like tofu chicken nuggets on my, on my website. So if someone wants to try that, using lentils maybe as like a a taco or in taco, maybe we make the ground beef tacos and add in the lentils to sort of start to try to introduce them to them, uh, but not make it the, the entire part of the dish or sort of some, some tips I would recommend to try. Let's talk about tofu. You brought up the tofu nuggets. Tell me all the things about tofu, like nutrition wise, all the good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I, I will first admit to, I mean, I know tofu is really weird. I, I get it. If you are, un, you know, if, if you're brand new to this, I feel like tofu is one of those things where if you've had it really well prepared, you get it. You like it. You feel like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a protein I really enjoy. I really like. It's so easy to get wrong that if you have soggy, tasteless mm. tofu, like I completely understand the, the turnoff and the idea where you'd be like, why would you ever willingly eat that? So <laughs> so I, I you know, I, I get that. I've I've been there. Um, one thing that I really try to do is to sort of teach people how to prepare tofu correctly. And, and the first thing you've got to do for the most part is press it. Mm. So tofu, if you've ever purchased, uh, purchased it, it comes packed in water and that water is really flavorless and it makes sort of that soggy texture that tofu is sort of notoriously known for if it's prepared wrong. So you got to get that water out. All you do, what I do, is just wrap it like in a kitchen towel or some paper towels, put some heavy things on top. I usually do like a cast iron skillet with some canned beans. They have fancy tofu presses mm -hmm. out there. If you eat a lot of tofu, get one. I have one. I love it. But you don't have to have that. 
uh, essentially just let it go for about five, 10 minutes, and you will see all this water come into your kitchen towel or to your paper towel. That is where the flavor is leaving, and it's your job to get the flavor back in. So you can now take that pressed tofu and add a marinade, just like you would to a chicken or a fish or whatever kind of other protein you're used to. Any marinade you like in that capacity will also work in tofu. Uh, so you can remarinate it in that sauce now that all that water is taken out of it, or you can do like a dry rub. And I'll do that a lot where I'll take like a little bit of olive oil and some dried herbs and like, you know, toss it really well with some cubed tofu and then pan fry it or saute it. And that's honestly what I do probably like two nights a week for my kids with like a pizza seasoning and they love it. Um, you know, it's it's got a lot of flavor. I think that tofu is sort of like chicken. I don't think chicken on its own has a lot of flavor, but if you prepare it correctly, it's really good. Anyone who's had like boiled chicken or like chicken that doesn't have a lot of sauce or seasoning on it, you know, it can also taste bad. And I think that tofu is sort of the same thing. Nutritionally, I really like tofu, right? It's, it's you know, low in fat. It's got a ton of great plant-based protein. It also has fiber. That's one of the other benefits about consuming sort of these plant-based proteins. They also contain that fiber. It's got calcium because it's, it's used calcium to help set it to get that firm uh, texture. It's got um, you know, some iron in it. It's, it's really got a lot of nutrition, especially for kids. And we talk about, you know, what are the things that we're usually most concerned about them not getting enough of? Iron, calcium tend to be sort of top of the list. And so tofu, I think, is a really great way for them to enjoy it. And, you know, I get it. Tofu might not be appealing to every child, but there are some fun sort of kid-friendly ways to, to do it. And we do have plenty of sort of kid-friendly tofu recipes on uh, the Plant-Based Juniors website and also on Delish Knowledge. Yeah, I think I think it's interesting if you start out offering that kind of food to your kids, right? Mm. It probably works a lot better and a lot of us are like, "Oh, my kids like 8, 10 or whatever and it's now trying to introduce it." It's like, "Ah, yeah. you know, backtracking is hard." Um, what are your thoughts on that? Like those people that are brand new parents and they're mm-hmm. like, "Would you say introduce stuff like that?" early and then people like me who are like just now starting to kind of introduce tofu to their kids. Right, right. right. So I'm I'm a big believer in sort of considering what you would call the family meal, right? Like what types of foods do you want in your family? And they don't have to be the same thing all the time. The first time you give your kids tofu, they might not eat it, right? If this is a brand new thing to them, especially if they're used to sort of eating the the more stereotypical kid food, and you give them like a sauteed tofu, they might look at it, they might poke it, maybe they try a little bit of it. But it, you know, most kids are not really willingly to take a bite of something that feels really foreign to them. And that's where sort of this concept of exposure comes in where it's like, okay, if you as a parent have decided, hey, this is a food that I really like, or this is a food that I want our family to eat more of, I've been hesitant to introduce it to my kids for whatever reason. That doesn't mean that we never do it. We just know that it might take 10 times. It might take 15 times. You know, there's there's sort of two things that research shows us that really helps kids to be more accepted of new foods. One is you modeling it as a parent, right? So if you're eating the tofu without any big deal around it or, you know, big, you know, to do with it, just eating it normally, enjoying it, and they see that, then it's like, oh, okay, well, mom eats it. It's not so weird. 
But if you're really nervous about it or like, I don't know, what do you think? Did you try it? I don't know if I like it. I mean, all of those messages are going to get absorbed by our kids. And now it's going to become this new weird food on the plate. And it's going to just take a little bit more for them to get excited about trying it. The other thing comes down to exposure. And that's, you know, maybe they help cook it with you. Maybe you explain like, hey, this is something a little bit new, especially for older kids, right? They, you know, it's not like we can't talk to them about food or what we're trying or like, hey, I saw this new recipe online. It looks really cool. Do you want to help me? We have to press it to get all the water out. You know, any ways that you can uh, have them join in with preparation or cooking or having it on their plate, all of those things count as exposure. And, you know, I think really giving yourself again, that sort of grace to be like, yeah, this might not be a home run family meal the first time, just like any new food doesn't tend to be that way. But over time, it becomes part of what we consider to be the family meal. And it's, you know, sort of our job to offer that often if that's what we want our kids to eat. Yeah. One of the things that I I liked that I saw on your Instagram was pulling apart the meal, you know, so like say I want to have a big salad or something like that, or I'm trying to make this new recipe. I'm really, I got the new Oshi Glows cookbook. So I'm like all oh, up so in good. that. Did you get it? It's so good. Oh yeah. 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 yeah the dinner's like one. Order. Oh yeah. Oh, I love her stuff. So I find myself like I'm making these lentil sloppy joes, right? With, with roasted red peppers and sundried tomatoes. It is so good. And only one of my kids willingly tried it. Uh, nobody else tried it. But I'm trying to think of ways to pull apart meals like this so that my husband and I can enjoy these like delicious sort of exotic dinners, but also give my kids like they're not going to eat the lentil burgers. And I know in our last conversation, you said, you know, as long as you're giving them at least one thing, you know, that they'll eat feel, you know, you can feel good about that. But when I'm making like sloppy Joe lentils, like what is the other thing I offer them? Because we're probably going to eat like a salad on the side or we had quinoa and broccoli on the side. Yeah. Yeah. So so two schools of thought with that. One is I do that a lot as well. Right. So I I like to you know, when I I consider like what my menu is going to be for the week, I take a little bit into consideration what my son wants. uh, But I also don't cater only to his his needs. Right. I kind of look at it as like he's part of the family, which means maybe two nights a week. I'm really going to think like, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm going to create a home run meal that I know my son is going to love. And then the other four or five nights a week are what I want to eat. And and I make sure that, let's say I'm making those lentil sloppy joes. I sort of say we can go one of two ways, depending on sort of what your parenting philosophy is and, and also where where this has been introduced. You know, if this sort of idea of the division of responsibility or these sort of new foods is brand new to you and your kids, it might be a lot easier to sort of say, okay, well, maybe they'll eat, um, maybe they'll just, I'm just going to use an example, maybe they'll just eat the lentils without the sauce. Okay, great. So I will just pull apart some lentils to put on their plate, and I know they like quinoa, I know they like broccoli, and I know they love strawberries. I'm going to make sure to offer that as well. Great. It's okay for them to have a dinner that kind of, you know, doesn't make sense if it's Mm. just like quinoa and broccoli and a little bit of cooked lentils and strawberries. If they like that, that's great. You can also take the approach of, this is what's for dinner. I'm going to make sure that I'm offering you strawberries or broccoli on the side or crackers even if you know that's what your kid will like. But I'm also going to make sure that I am putting that lentil sloppy joe on your plate. Doesn't have to be a big portion, right? You know, when I'm making um, 
like sandwiches or things that I'm not quite sure my son's going to eat, I'll, I'll give him, you know, maybe a two bite thing. So it's, it's on his plate. He's allowed to see it. He might tell me right away when that plate goes down, I don't want to eat it. And my response always is, you don't have to, but it's on your plate because that's what dinner is. Mm-hmm. And if he doesn't touch it, no big deal. Um, and, you know, that that might take, like I said before, a dozen, 15 times for them to sort of get to see what what it is. You know, the other night I was making like a quinoa enchilada casserole and it was sort of very similar to lentil sloppy joes. It had quinoa in it. It had a ton of peppers. I think I put some kale in it. Um, I did, you know, beans, corn, this like spicy sauce. It's one of my favorite dishes. I know my son hates it. So I could have either said, okay, well, that's for dinner tonight. And you can have some, you know, sweet potato fries on the side or whatever I decide to make you. But instead, what I did was I know he likes quinoa and I know he loves corn. I know he likes black beans sometimes. So I, as I was making the dish, I kind of pulled, you know, a few mm. of those aside on his plate already. And then I finished making the rest of the meal. And I really think it comes down to, as a parent, how much sort of, you know, time you have to prepare meals that might work for meals that are easy like that to deconstruct and other meals that just might not work. And, you know, again, I I really do believe in this idea that you get to decide what is on your kid's plate. There's going to be a lot less friction if you're also introducing things, you know, they're going to like, and you know, they're going to eat. And so I always make sure to include at least one of those things. But I think sometimes as parents, we get so like, oh, they have to have these, you know, really complete nutritional meals every single time. And that doesn't have to be the case, especially because we are trying to say that, you know, the the short term approach is like, okay, yeah, we could cater to every single meal and always offer things that that we know they're going to eat. But that gets really frustrating and really tiring for the parent. And that's just, I don't think a sustainable way for a for our kids to learn, you know, different types of foods and be exposed to things. But also it makes mealtime feel really miserable. Mm -hmm. And it makes for a really unhappy situation. You know, I might like tofu nuggets, but I do not want to eat them five nights a week. You know, I love tacos and my son, that's his favorite meal. We always have tacos once a week. I don't want to eat them five nights a week. And I know if I offered it five nights a week, that would be, you know, the best mom ever award. But that's just not how my my sort of family meal goes. And so I think it just comes back to to what we want for the long term and, and approaching sort of like each day is like, okay, a little bit of a win here and there. And no, you're not going to, you know, hit a home run every single time with every single kind of meal. I like the point that you brought up that like two nights a week you pick to focus on meals that you know they like because mm-hmm. that makes it feel that makes it feel less stressful because I know that two nights people are going to be really happy yeah, with what's in yeah. front of them. Well, I, I think it's sort of, you know, is the approach of like it's it's not my way or the highway. You know, I, I don't want people to hear that. It's It's more of the idea that like we are a family unit. And yes, my son might only be three, but I still consider his preferences. They just don't rule my my entire meal planning. Just like my husband's meal preferences don't rule my entire meal planning. You know, I I take into consideration like I know he's really going to like this meal, but he might be lukewarm on a curry, but I still want to offer that as one of the meals we're going to have. It might not be, you know, everybody's favorite meal every single night, but it's taken into an account what my son likes, what my husband like, what I like, what our budget is, what our accessibility is, you know, all those different factors that come into meal planning and trying to make sure that everyone gets a win, but everyone doesn't have to win every single night. I also like that for 
kids that are a little bit bigger too. I mean, maybe even a three-year-old too, let them have say in the meal planning. So like Tuesday and Thursday, these are the two nights, like it's all on you. You can pick out what we have for dinner given, you know, with reason. Um, But kids like in general receive things really well when they have some sort of say in the matter. So that's a really good idea. I've never really done that. I mean, my three-year-old did ask for pancakes last night and I had no other plans. So I, I just made pancakes, you know, but, um, I like kind of like sort of giving them that option ahead of time so that then on Monday night, they know Tuesday's their night that they picked to make tacos. That's kind of fun. Yes, totally. Well, and even kind of going back to that lentil sloppy Joe option, you know, if you just asked your kid, what do you want on the side? Well, you know, that could open Pandora's box to whatever. But if you said, okay, for a vegetable tonight, and I do this often, you know, with my, with my son, we can either have broccoli or cauliflower. What do you want? I have both of those in the fridge and it kind of feels like, oh, he got to choose. Mm -hmm. It's a small thing. He might not even like the rest of the meal, you know, and I usually try to do that at least, at least one time uh, in a meal, like for breakfast, I'll say, do you want oatmeal or cereal? You know, it's those are the two options. They're both pretty easy and he gets to choose which one. And I'm happy with whatever one he's choosing. So, you know, if he says cake, well, that's not on the menu. Yeah. The menu is oatmeal or cereal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, tell me, is there anything else more about the seven day protein plan, though, to talk about before we move to the next topic? No, no, no. I, I think it's people are going to like it. It's got 40 recipes in it. It, it you know, it, it covers things about how much protein you need. It goes into considerations about if you're active, if you're sedentary, if you're, you know, depending on what your age range is, all all sort of the things as a dietitian, I would think, what do people want to know about protein and what kind of myths are out there? And then, of course, how do you actually cook it and how do you prepare it that you like it? And one thing I I will note from the last episode that we talked about, in case anybody hadn't heard that, I really liked how you kind of brought up, you know, everybody has this thought, a lot of people have this thought of protein, like, let me get this big hearty serving of protein. But what we don't realize sometimes is that we're getting little hits of protein from different things we're eating throughout the day that aren't necessarily high protein sources, but you add them all up. Yes, yes. And, you know, I, I call it the the plant-based protein course just sort of to to cater to, I think, what people are looking for. But, you know, I sort of say that I think one of the huge benefits in everyone adding more plant-based proteins is that they're not just singular macros, right? You know, if I'm eating a bean, yeah, I'm getting protein. I'm also getting a ton of fiber. I'm getting prebiotics. I'm getting iron. I'm getting zinc. I'm getting calcium. I'm getting, you know, all these different nutrients that um, are, you know, especially when we talk about an animal protein, you're, you're going to just find a different nutrition profile, but especially you're going to miss all of those beneficial prebiotics and all those beneficial fibers, which I think is what makes plant-based eating, especially if that's not, you know, how you eat all the time, but just adding more of those meals in so helpful to reduce things like chronic disease and also improve overall gut health. Yeah. Okay. So you guys put, I, I just got uh, your newsletter in my email today and I thought, oh my gosh, we should add this to our talking points because the email was about talking to your kids about food and language and you know, like when they're helping you in the kitchen. And I have to say yesterday, I was so proud when I was making those pancakes. Um, Mm -hmm. My husband had my two big boys across the street. So I just had the little two. I just picked them up from daycare. And he, uh, Russ, my three-year-old was helping me make the pancakes. And he, he goes, that calls for baking powder, not baking soda. And I just love that he was like, said that it calls for this. You know, I thought that was so fun. Um, so yeah, t- let's talk about language and talking to our kids in, in the kitchen. 
Yeah. So one thing I'm, I'm really big on is the idea that, you know, and, and, and any, every parent knows this, right? You say things and then your kid, kid parrots it back to you and you're like, oh, okay. Didn't realize I said that. Didn't realize yeah. you were listening. Yep. So, you know, that is, that is also true of how we speak about food. Um, you know, if we, we talked uh, in our last conversation about some of my background and, you know, having sort of this, this eating disorders background, I'm very aware of how I speak about my body in front of my kids and also how I speak about food. And so, you know, there are a lot of ways we can describe food. You know, we can describe food about the kind of nutrition it has. We can describe food at sort of the, the macro level. We can talk about, you know, the, the energy the food gives us, but we can also talk about the characteristics. And I think that the characteristics of food, especially if we're dealing with picky eaters, is one of those ways that helps to sort of bring the food to life and, and doesn't make it just like a yuck or yum, right? So what I mean by that is, a lot of times when a child is trying a new food, our sort of go-to response is like, do you like it? Or, oh, is it yummy? Mm -hmm. And that, you know, usually, especially if a child is very picky or there's some, you know, uh, control issues going on, the easiest answer for them to say is no mm -hmm. or yuck or I don't like it. And, you know, then it's like that, that conversation is kind of shut down. But instead we can say, oh, this is it crunchy? Is it creamy? Is it tangy? Is it spicy? Like my son loves saying things are astringent because I use that <laughs> word. I think it's like so funny, you know, just just those little things. And then he'll say, oh, yes, it is crunchy. Oh, it is creamy. You know, he doesn't really necessarily understand all of the things he's saying, but he's hearing me describe it. And that sounds really fun to him. You know, I'm, I'm sort of talking about food in a way that has nothing to do with the nutrition that it's providing him because at three years old, he doesn't need to know that. And I'm also taking away any really opportunity for him to say, I don't like it because we're, we're sort of describing food in a much more factual way. And so I think that if you're trying to, you know, talk to your kids or have, have mealtime be about the food, but not have it be about the food in sort of a pressure way, it's an easy way to talk about what you're eating and how maybe it sounds in your mouth or what color it is, especially with younger kids, they get all that, you know, it's fun for them to crunch and to hear that or to, you know, bite into something and say, oh, it's sour or it's really sweet or I love that pretty color. Even if, again, they're not eating these foods or liking these foods necessarily, it's also a way for them to be involved in the overall conversation. And, and all of these things count as exposure. And I know I'm like a broken record on that, but it really is sort of like, you know, I'm, I'm trying it this way. I'm trying it that way. I'm trying it this way. All of these ways count when we're trying to expose our kids to new foods. Yeah. What are some of your um, favorite things to involve your, I mean, because three is pretty young to involve yeah. him in the kitchen. I know you guys make smoothies together. My kids, do. if I give them the option to help cook with me, they want to, but you know, it's so easy to be like, oh no, let me just do it because it's faster oh, by yeah. myself. Yeah, yeah. And and please don't think that like, you know, three meals a day, I have my <laughs> toddler up in the kitchen with me and we're just having a mess and I'm smiling. Like that's not true. <laughs> Um, we, we do have a kitchen helper, which I think makes, makes things a lot easier. You know, he thinks it's really, he knows how to get it so he can, you know, drag it across the floor and, and put it up to the counter. And, and that feels really fun for him. So, uh, he loves to make smoothies. That's sort of the, the one thing that we make. I wouldn't say every day, but you know, maybe five times a week we do that together. Um, he likes to stir. 
So if I'm making, let's say, like a sauce, I'll sometimes say, hey, do you want to come in and stir? Mm-hmm. A lot of times he just sits in the kitchen with me, right? So we have like a uh, an, an island with the, you know, the bar stools that have the, the um, sorry, I can't even think about it, like the edges on them. He's not falling off the bar stool. So he's sitting there <laughs> with me and I am cooking and, you know, he'll just say, hey, mommy, what's that? And I'll say, let's say, oh, it's a beet. You know, look at that color. Do you want to see it? And a lot of times he says no, but he's still in there watching mm-hmm. me cook and prepare it. So even if he's not actually involved in like making the food, he's sort of seeing things with me. Um, You know, a lot of times if I'm cooking, I'll say, here, do you want to try this? Do you want a bite of this? So, you know, I think anything where you feel like, A, I have, you have the time to to involve your kids, especially if they're younger, just know it's going to get a little messier. It's going to take a little bit more time to make that dinner. So that might not be every day, but it might be twice a week where it's like, you know what, I've got a little bit more time for dinner tonight, or I've got a little bit more time making these pancakes. I'm going to say, hey, do you guys want to come in and help me? And maybe the answer is no, but if it's yes, that's a really fun way to involve them. Uh, I want to talk about the picky eater thing because I did hear you and Whitney talking about this. You know, they say mm. the common, I think that people say, you know, kids need to be introduced to food at least 10 to 12 times, whatever, before they might like it. But then Whitney was talking about how she offers her child broccoli like three times a week. Oh, and yeah. so sometimes those numbers go into the hundreds. Yes. So don't get yeah. discouraged and think, oh, they're never going to like broccoli. And and maybe they don't, right? I yeah. mean, I think that even as adults, we can all be like, you know, I, I have tried myself, like I have really tried to try fennel because it's in a lot of, mm-hmm. I, I don't like it. It is, I mean, every single time I take a bite, I'm like, oh, I really don't like that. I'm not a big fan of like, mustard green. I just don't like that. You know, like you can try to make different kinds of like carrot greens and be, I just don't like that flavor. And I have really tried myself. So if we imagine those same Mm -hmm. feelings our kids are having, like I get it, you know, you just don't like that food. That's okay. So I think there is some, some acceptability of like, this isn't their favorite um, and they might not like it. We can expose them all the times that we want. And that's just not going to be a food that they like. But there are times, and I think, again, as an adult, you can think like, oh, yeah, I didn't like that kid. I didn't like that food at all as a kid. And now I really like it. You know, I was never a huge Brussels sprouts eater. Mm-hmm. But my gosh, if I see Brussels sprouts on the menu, like we're ordering two servings, you know, yeah. like I, I love them now. But that was not the case at 10. And we ate them often, you know, when I was growing up. So I, I think it's sort of, you know, trying to imagine yourself as your child and how you have your same food relationship mm-hmm. with different things and knowing that they're going to be in a similar boat. Yeah. You know, I was thinking back to that with those those lentil burgers I was talking about earlier. There are some definitely some flavors in there that were pretty strong that as an adult, like I really liked, but I could see how a child's taste buds might be like, that is weird. So I'm thinking like I, you know, it, it does make more work, but we were talking about pulling out pieces of it, you know, like pull out the lentils Mm -hmm. or whatever. But I really think if I just made it super basic for the kids in one pan and, put all those exotic spices in my pan, they probably, at least my oldest would have still eaten it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, you can try it that way the first time, right? Yeah. So we can say, Hey, maybe that's what it is and, and, and offer it that way. And, you know, maybe the next time we do a little bit more that, that is one thing that, you know, if, if you're listening and, and maybe you haven't started introducing kids yet to food, I really try to encourage the idea that like, there is this like honeymoon period Mm -hmm. where about six months to about 18 months, most kids are really accepting of foods. And this is where 
I think it goes against a lot of what we we feel is appropriate or we feel is okay or safe. And I'm not saying, you know, give your kids like chili peppers to suck on, but it is okay <laughs> to say, ooh, you know, let's, let's put some curry powder in those lentils I'm giving you, or I'm going to try to, you know, cook your broccoli and maybe I'll roast it with some cumin or, you know, something where it's a little bit more of a stronger uh, profile. When we introduce kids to that younger, they're more likely to accept those stronger flavors later. So if you know that those are food, those are flavors that your kids are really not used to, you know, imagine now offering a different food and a different flavor profile. Mm -hmm. That's a lot for a young kid to take at once, right? So we've really got to sort of, you know, I think go slowly and understand that they want to like food too. They don't want to feel disappointed at dinner all the time. How do we make it so we're, you know, not cooking all these different meals, but also increasing acceptability? Okay, let's talk about foods that we can add in to meals, like superfoods, you know, adding chia mm-hmm. seeds to smoothies and things like that. And I originally in my head thought, sneak them into smoothies, but obviously that probably isn't great to sneak things because you want them to know, you know, that certain foods are really good for them. Like you want them to know that a chia seed is good for them. I'm sure there's a balance here, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm not into the, the sort of concept of like, he, 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 I'm going to get them to eat this and I'm sneaking it in. And, and I get this question a lot when it comes to smoothies, because, you know, like I said before, we make smoothies a lot and, you know, I pack those things, right? Like there's always some type of green usually in there. I usually do chia, hemp, uh, flax seeds, you know, maybe I'll add in different kinds of nuts sometimes or foods that my son might not regularly grab and eat, but he'll eat it, you know, he'll eat beets blended up in a smoothie. He's not going to eat them on their plate. So is that sneaking it in? And And I think it comes back to the awareness, right? So if I'm handing my son or if he's making a smoothie with me and he sees there's kale in a smoothie, that to me is not sneaking it in. That's just sort of being lucky and knowing that he's going to eat that green smoothie, even with, you know, the kale in there that he might not normally eat if it's just raw or cooked on his plate. What I don't like is the idea of, oh, I'm not going to serve my kids those foods willingly, I'm just going to sneak them into everything because what we miss out on is the opportunity again to expose and to teach them that like, oh yeah, they like that food. You know, and my son will even sometimes say like, I only like spinach and smoothies. I'm like, (laughs) yeah, that's right. Right now that's all you do and that's okay. And, you know, I think that we, whenever we sneak things, we take away that learning opportunity, but that doesn't mean that we can't do it in a way that they're aware of. So I love, you know, those kind of things in smoothies. Um, I'm a big fan of like making pasta sauces. So one thing that we shared actually recently on PBJs is sort of this like pasta that we do often where I'll take a jar of whatever kind of sauce you like into a blender. I'll throw in some carrots. I'll throw maybe a bell pepper, you know, whatever kind of veggies you have, maybe a handful of spinach and puree it blend it up, especially if we're sort of talking about those like yellow, orange colors, like a, you know, sweet potato or carrot or uh, red or green or yellow bell pepper. It doesn't change the color of the red Mm -hmm. pasta sauce too much. So you're not, you know, now getting this like brown sauce, but then you add it to your pasta sauce that, you know, your pasta that, you know, your kids really like, wow, now we've increased, you know, vitamin A, we've increased vitamin C, we've given them, you know, extra nutrition. That to me is totally fine, but I'm not not telling my son. So I might say as he's eating, like, did you know that I put sweet potatoes in that pasta sauce? 
or, you know, here, do you want to come help me blend? I just think that we, we never want to feel like we're tricking our kids when they, when our kids feel tricked, that they're eating something that we didn't tell them, it feels like they can't trust us. Mm -hmm. And sort of going back to the conversation that we talked about a lot last time, we really want our kids to, we need trust in eating and we need trust in food because if we, if we break that, then it feels like I don't trust you to choose what kind of foods that you want for your body. And you don't trust me to offer you uh, when, when, you know, the, the foods I think that we're going to have as a family. Yes, I, I totally am on board with that. And I do put spinach in my kid's smoothie and only one time has my, my three-year-old is my picky guy. Uh, my kids are eight, six, uh, four, I guess he's four now and two, but then the four-year-old man, he is just so picky, but he, um, I, I put a lot of spinach in last time and he saw that bad boy packed up to the brim with yeah, spinach and like he was like, that. I don't want that yucky stuff, but he's seen the spinach in there before just uh-huh. in different portions and that portion threw him off. He was not yeah. having it. Yeah. And- And that's a huge, I mean, portions are really a big deal, right? I mean, you know, think about something that you don't like. If you were offered a giant plate of it, it'd be like, I I don't even know how to finish the rest of my meal. All I saw was just like fennel coming out of everything, right? Like, I don't want any of this. But if I had a small piece or if we gave them, you know, a tiny introductory serving, that feels really manageable and it doesn't feel like there's all this pressure, right? So if you're hearing this and you're like, Oh, I've never thought to to add greens to a smoothie. You know, I don't add two cups, right? You know, do a small, couple leaves. Try it, you know, especially if they can't taste it. You know, we, we want to show them that, like, this isn't scary. And, oh, yeah, you might like that. That's so much more appealing to say, okay, now I'll try to add a little bit more and, and you know, see how that taste changes. And, again, these are conversations, especially if our kids are a little bit older, that we can start to have with them. It is so incredible. My eight-year-old now tries almost anything we put in front of him and he doesn't like everything, but like just the fact that he tries it, I'm like, this is such a relief. Like it feels so good. And also to anybody listening who's like, man, my kid's so picky. You know, he, he's eaten a lot of cheese quesadillas in his day. Like he has not, (laughs) we, we did not get crazy with like introducing crazy stuff and now he's trying everything and it makes me so happy we made um I don't know if you had those cauliflower and broccoli burgers that it's in the new cookbook but basically yeah it's like it's like breaded broccoli and cauliflower and you you make it like it's a sandwich though and he was just biting into those and I'm thinking this is crazy I cannot believe that he's just like going all out with these sandwiches and it just feels so good. And also to just say that food that you're putting into your body is so good for your body. It is fueling you. It is making you feel strong. And you're also not going to come down and feel like a crazy sugar crash in an hour. And, and he's, He's eight. Yeah. I, I think that's all something that's really important, especially if, if you know, you're, you're a parent of young children and you feel like this is never going to end. Picky eating is really common and it, it really sort of has uh, a parallel to control, to independence, you know, all these things that our young toddlers, preschoolers go through where they're trying to become more autonomous. They're trying to figure out, you know, their place in the world, their likes, their dislikes. Like it's no coincidence that picky eating runs 
right alongside that, right? It feels really good for our kids to say to us, no, I don't like that, or I get to choose to eat that, right? Those are all things that they're trying to explore and try on. And so picky eating is so much of that. And I think as if, if parents, if we start to like obsess over it or feel like, we're doing something wrong or what would happen to my kid that used to gobble up everything when they were, you know, 12 months old. Like just know that it's, it's really natural. It's really normal. Obviously there are stages and, and there's, you know, a whole spectrum of picky eating and, and some things are normal and some things might need to be, you know, talked about more with like a pediatrician. But for the most part, if, if we do our job of continuing to offer continuing to not make a big deal about it, they come out on the other side. And especially if the food wasn't a huge pressure or a huge point of contention every single mealtime, when they sort of come out of that picky eating, you know, phase, if you will, they're way more likely to be like, oh yeah, cool, I'll try it. Because it wasn't something that was forced on them for years to try. It just feels like now they're at a place where they're a lot more willing to to explore those different uh, types of foods. So good. Okay, this is off topic a little bit, but I know that a question a lot of parents have is about peanuts. And so can you talk about introduction to that and when you do that yeah. and, and all that goodness? Yes, yes. So the the research that's more, most recently come out on peanuts is uh, sort of the concept of early and often introduction, right? So if, if you have uh, kids that are a little bit older, probably around like 10-ish, uh, those kids likely got the message that we wanted to delay exposure. Mm -hmm. So we thought, you know, 10, 15 years ago, that the best way to prevent peanut allergies was to wait to delay exposure, not give them any peanuts until they're about two, three, four years of age, depending on what literature you looked at. And we found that, you know, whoopsie, that actually increased peanut allergies. And so we went back and decided, okay, now let's look more at the research. And it really shows that the more early, the more often you introduce peanuts is actually more protective. Now, that's not to say that you give your kids, you know, peanuts every single day. They won't develop an allergy, right? Some kids just do. There is a strong family component, genetic component to different allergies, especially if you have other sort of, you know, symptoms of an allergy. So kids with like skin issues or eczema are much more likely to be um, also have different kinds of food allergies. One food allergy makes it more common. You're going to have another. Right? So, so please discuss this with your pediatrician and sort of my, my legal disclaimer. But for the most part, kids who are exposed early and often have a decreased risk. And that can feel really scary to a parent who's, you know, like, wait a minute, you want me to introduce peanuts at five months old? My kid's not even eating solids yet. Or how do I do that? And so uh, we, we do have lots of ways, different ways to do this, depending on which type of solid feeding approach you're taking on our plant-based juniors blog. But for, you know, the easiest way I usually say is um, peanuts, A, are a choking hazard, and too much peanut butter is also a choking hazard. So you want to introduce peanuts, but we need to do it in a safe way. If you're doing purees, you can thin some peanut powder or thin, just regular non-salted peanut butter. Uh, try to get the kind that's only peanuts, doesn't have added sugar or added types of, you know, other additives to it. You can thin it with some breast milk and put it on your finger and just kind of let babies suck on it a little bit. You can thin it with some yogurt if you want to introduce it that way, especially if you've already introduced cow's milk uh, to see if there's an allergy there. So there's lots of different ways you could sort of thin the peanuts to, to expose it to kids. You can also use a very, very thin smear of peanut butter onto toast and then slice it into like skinny strips about the size, uh, the width of your pinky and let baby kind of pick up and gnaw on that. So, you know, we, we don't have an exact amount 
of how many times they need to be exposed before we consider them to be you know, safe. Uh, but, but the idea of early and often, and we usually say about, you know, a teaspoon or so every couple days. Wow. That's so crazy that that delayed exposure actually increased the amount of kids who had allergies and it's so prevalent in that age range that you just mentioned too. It's, it's really prevalent. Well, and you know, here's the thing too, with, with, with a lot of nutrition, right? I mean, there are things we're, we're constantly learning. So, you know, I feel like sometimes it feels like, oh, they go back and forth. Well, no, we're just learning more and we're getting new evidence. And so, you know, that, that actual, the peanut thing came out of observing kids in Israel who eat this snack. It's like a peanut puff. And a lot of kids that sort of want to like their first foods or, you know, sort of those easy to grab, like snacky kind of foods. And they realized the rate of uh, peanut allergy in that population was much less than anywhere else. Oh, what's happening? Oh, well, these kids culturally are introduced to this like peanut snack very early. Uh, you know, could that be something to do with it? So I looked into it and that's when they kind of came away with that idea that early and often. And, and that's true for all allergies. So mm-hmm. the top eight. Right. So. We know the most about food allergies from research on eggs, research on peanuts, and research on cow's milk. So we kind of assume that the rest of the top eight are going to follow along the same lines. That's not always true, again, depending on the child. But for the most part, we do like to say, you know, before six, seven, eight months of age to try to introduce the top eight uh, early and often. Wow. Okay. Last little topic here. I want to actually, I have two more, two more little topics vitamins and supplements and seasonal eating. So let's do, mm-hmm. let's do the vitamins and supplements. I give my kids Supervites, which is a, a kid's vitamin from Prevenex, which is a, a vitamin company we buy from. Um, what is your opinion on kids, either plant-based or not taking vitamins? And then what are the supplements that if a kiddo is totally vegan, even like what supplements should they be taking? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm very pro supplement, especially depending on the child, right? So if we're talking about my my strict vegans, my plant based eaters, uh, no way around it. We have to have B12. I'm not really a fan of fortified foods, and and the reason for that is because if anyone is a parent of a toddler or even a preschooler, you know that what they eat every single day is not always the same. Some days they love milk, other days they don't. And so if we're only relying on these fortified foods to get nutrition in, they might not have enough that day or they might have a decreased appetite and not get enough in. And then you might run into the risk of a nutritional deficiency. So I'm, I'm really a big fan of a B12 supplement, likely a vitamin D supplement depending on how much non-dairy fortified milk they're taking in and maybe dha uh dha is one of those things where there's not a ton of research uh we we do know that dha is really important in both cognitive development and retinal development how much kids need and you know is is really sort of it's not conclusive And, and the idea is that you know the fact too that even if you're an omnivore toddler you're probably not eating salmon three days a week either so you know, we, we can say that we know DHA is really important, but we also know that the vast majority of kids aren't even meeting that need. And so it, it's hard to draw conclusive, conclusive evidence to say, you know, this, this deficiency is, is this and how much we need. But I think on the safe side, I supplement with DHA and I usually say the downside is cost. And so, you know, I think each family kind of has to decide if that's something they want to do. So that's, that's my strict sort of like plant-based yes, yes, yes. 
When it comes to other children uh, in that, I, I'm really pro-supplement, especially if you feel like you're stressed about your kids' eating habits and what they're getting in. Because what I hear so many times from parents is they take on the stress of their picky eater because they're like, but they're not getting this and they're not getting that. And if that is, and, and you know, those nutrients are important. I'm not trying to say they're not, but especially if that's making you feel more pressure or, or you know, making you feel like you're needing to, to offer this or mealtime is becoming more stressful because your kids aren't eating the foods you think they need to, giving a multivitamin is a really great way to say, okay, I know a lot of my kids' bases are covered. I have a lot more leeway in a sense to not feel so stressed if they're not eating their broccoli tonight. But it also gives, you know, the, the kids the advantage to say, yeah, and I'm getting that nutrition in. So I'm I'm very pro supplement for that population as well. Um, one thing I will say is we have a free supplement guide on plant-based juniors that goes into all of these different, you know, supplements, whether it's B12, vitamin D, DHA, multivitamins, probiotics, uh, whether or not kids need them depending on the diet, and then also some of our favorite recommended brands. Oh, I love it. Good. Okay, we'll link that in the show notes for sure. Um, the last topic is seasonal eating, and I get really sad when I talk about this because I need to have avocados and bananas <laughs> year-round, okay? <laughs> so what – okay, so we're entering winter, really. Um, talk to me about, like, the important – the things that you focus most on, most on in this topic in, in your own family and just what suggestions you have in regards to seasonal eating. And, you know, I'm, I'm the same way, right? Like I am, I am not perfect over here. My son eats a banana probably every single morning. You know, I just gave my, my eight month old, you know, a pint of raspberries, which are definitely not in season right now. So, you know, I mean, I, I still choose the, the food that we, we like, but I do try to eat somewhat seasonal. And, and the reason for that is a lot of things. One, it tastes better, especially if we're trying to get our kids excited about these foods. I mean, we all know this, right? Like a tomato in January is not a tomato in August. So if I'm introducing, let's say, eggplant to my son and I give it to him in January, it's going to taste really flavorless, whether I give him that same eggplant in August, where it's just a lot more flavorful. So uh, I think that's a really important sort of thing. The other thing is cost. So especially if you're like, yeah, I like the idea of eating more plants, but it's expensive. And, you know, especially fresh fruits and vegetables, they do tend to be really expensive. More seasonal foods tend to be less expensive. And, you know, that's true whether you're eating at a farmer's market or whether you're going to the grocery store to get your stuff. Um, You know, things that are a lot cheaper right now are things like apples and pears and different kinds of squashes, right? Berries are going to be a lot more expensive than they are in June because there is, you know, longer shipping, there tend to be, you know, exported. There's there's lots of different factors that go into the different cost. And seasonality is a big thing. So right now I'm really focused on uh, we do a lot of apples. We do a lot of citrus fruits. That's going to be really big in the winter. I love citrus. I love oranges. I love grapefruits. It's a really great one, especially for kids. Like here's a cutie. Bye. Um, so, uh, you know, those kind of things. Squashes are really great. Um, there's a lot of different things you can do with them. So I, I roast a lot of butternut squash. I do a lot of spaghetti squash. My my son's not big on eating just spaghetti squash, but he'll eat it if I mix it in with like a pasta and a sauce. So we do that a lot. I'll um, roast up, you know, different kinds of pumpkins or squashes and make them into muffins. So I think there's a, a lot of different ways that you can introduce those. 
Uh, pomegranates, one of my favorite sort of like fun things to introduce kids to because they like pop in your mouth and they're super juicy. So oh, that is a fun I, one. And I, and I also think it's fun, especially, you know, again, going back to introducing kids to new foods, you know, it, it's a way to say like, oh, let's go to the grocery store and see what's in season, right? Like the, the squashes, again, just for example, right now are so much more plentiful mm-hmm. at the store than they ever are in May. So we can go and pick out some different fun looking ones and go home and cook it. He might not try it, but at least he's having that sort of exposure. Um, what are the health benefits of pomegranates? Are they, is it vitamin C? Yeah, and they're super high in antioxidants. So especially foods that are colored uh, blue or purple, most kids, especially kids, but adults too, that's one of, like when we think about like the rainbow of food colors, all of those different colors mean something when it comes to different types of antioxidants, right? So uh, the, the antioxidants, the anthocyanins that are in blue and purple foods tend to be something that we don't get a ton of, right? And think about that. A lot of us don't eat except for like blueberries, maybe a lot of blue and purple foods, but pomegranates are a really uh, good source of anthocyanins. Oh, so interesting. And I didn't know that citrus fruits were in season in the, in the winter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, I sort of like to remind everyone that like the, if you think about back to like the whole like scurvy thing and, and vitamin C, right, it's because, you know, the, the vitamin C abundance fruits in the summer typically used, not, used to not be available in the winter. And so citrus fruits are, and that's sort of helps to, to fill in that vitamin C uh, lack, if you will, during the winter time. And they're good. I mean, gosh, oranges right now, especially as we get into like December and January, they're so good. If you, especially if you think an orange is like, you know, whitish or gross inside, that's usually an orange that you'll get like in the summer months. But in the winter, gosh, grapefruits, ruby red, oranges, all those things are just really juicy and really yummy. I mean, I feel kind of silly that I assumed that citrus fruits would be in season in the summer (laughs) we we live in an age where i can get blackberries all year long yeah right i mean it you know i think that's the one thing that it's it's hard when you say like what's in season like i don't know everything's in season right (laughs) at whole foods it's in season all year long so i think that you know it doesn't have to feel don't don't feel silly if you know (laughs) you're not sure you know what and and also different areas of the country you know the really big country have different growing seasons right so What's available in my area in May might not be the same thing as what's available in May in California or what's available in May in Maine. So, you know. Oh, my goodness. Well, I'm going to go buy some oranges and make that as like one of the sides for dinner for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. So yummy. Um, All right, Alex. Well, thank you for coming back on and and being so willing with your time here. Is there any recent books or anything fun you've recently discovered in your life outside of nutrition that you want to share with the listeners? Um, gosh, what a great question. No. Oh, oh, okay. No, that's not true. I just read The Alchemist. Did you read that? Like years ago. I know. I'm like so late to the party. 10, oh, my. 12 it's years ago? so good. Uh, no, 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 not The Alchemist. Oh my gosh. The Immortalist. No, I've never heard of that. Okay. Yes, it's so good. The Immortalist. It's um, trying to think what she also wrote. And I'm like blanking right now. But it's it's great. I just finished it. It's such a great one. And I'm currently reading All Adults Here. Okay. Have you read that one? No, um, I feel like I've seen someone post about it, but I don't. What kind of book is it? 
Um, it's good. It's like this, like, it's, it's all these like family stories, like okay. inner, inner twine. Um, I, I really got into, you know, it's funny, you know, when you find a book that you really like, and then you kind of go in a rabbit hole, mm-hmm. to see, like what's similar. Well, I was finding that a lot of the books I liked reading all came from, um, Jenna Bush's like book club. Okay. And I was like, Oh, okay. Whatever she's picking, I'm liking. Yeah. So I kind of went through like all of her recent uh, picks and like, you know, was sort of making my way down the list. So I think that's a nice sort of, I don't know if it's a, a, t- a tip or a trick, but I just kind of found like, oh, okay, like four of the last books I've read had all been on her book club. So I kind of felt like, well, we must have a similar taste in what we like in books. So I kind of feel like she's my new refer to what kind of things I like. Yeah, her and Reese Witherspoon has a book yes. club. Yeah. yeah, she's got good ones too. Um, all right, cool. Well, thank you so much. And um, we're going to link the seven-day plant-based protein and also the batch cookbook. Yep. Uh, we didn't talk too much about the batch cookbook, but we'll have a link to that with a discount code and everything in the awesome. show notes. Yep, great. Cool. Thanks, Alice. Awesome. Thanks so much, Lindsay. Bye. Bye. Okay, thank you, Alex, for coming on the show again. You guys can follow Alex on Instagram. She is delish knowledge over there. Make sure you also check out Plant Based Juniors. They are full of so many great resources. And don't forget, use the code Lindsay for 15% off all their ebooks. If you also want to check out Prevenex, which is what I use for vitamins for my kids, go to Prevenex.com and use the code ANOTHER for 15% off your order. You can find us on Instagram. We are Why Is Everyone Yelling over there. We also have a Facebook group where we would love to connect with you. And I would love to connect with you personally as well on Instagram. I'm lindsayhines626. Reach out to myself or my assistant Emma anytime Lindsay at sandyboyproductions.com or Emma at sandyboyproductions.com with any suggestions or feedback you have about the show. We would love to hear from you. Have a really great rest of your week. Have a wonderful Christmas. Happy holidays. And we will see you next week on Why Is Everyone Yelling?